Well, welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. So you and I enjoy going to concerts. Yes. We have enjoyed going to concerts. Yes. And I've always wondered what will concerts, like how soon are people going to pack into places? And when I say people, I mean like normal people. I don't mean like. Are you trying to like throw your voice so it looks like like the shirt behind you is talking and not you? Is that why you have your hand over your mouth? Or? No, no. I, just, I have this thing with pulling on my, my beard is growing slowly now. All right. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. It's not going fast. Um, yes. So I am wondering when concerts are going to reopen, right? Filling up clubs, arena, stadiums, that sort of stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know because you know you can you can play a game. I don't know how you play baseball, but you can. Uh-huh. Certainly, I don't know how you play basketball, but you can do that to an empty stadium, and it's all about the television rights. You know what I mean? Yes, because like Formula One leagues. is made for uh-huh. television, the production, right? So who shows up is is relevant. I mean, it's relevant, but yeah. it's all about the television rights. You don't have that music. True. So they got to play their games because ESPNs of the world have paid millions of dollars. And if they don't, then they lose out on, the, on that money. Yeah. Plus they can, they can play and get the TV revenue. Sure. And I'm not saying I'm not saying the attendance is irrelevant. No. Some places... But but they can make a lot of money off the television revenues. Yeah. Like you're wearing a TFC hat. Um, Mm -hmm. TFC, like MLS as a whole, um, while they might have... I don't know what their TV contract is, but they make a boatload of money at the gate. Yep. Yep. Right? And so... Yeah. So they for the sake of you know business yep yep uh would love to have people show up but did you hear what is happening in Denmark the drive-in venue yeah so that's interesting and uh, i'm i'm wondering did you ever go see a drive-in movie i i I I'll answer that for you you have Yes. Yes. Why? Why? <laughs> You're showing more gray than me right now, buddy. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. Uh, <laughs> but I'm wondering how a drive-in concert would be, and I'm really hoping I get to go in because one of my favorite Canadian bands, July Talk, yeah, is apparently doing a couple of dates this summer in the Toronto area, and. Um, yeah, I've signed up for 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 tickets, and hopefully, uh, I'll be able to go. But I'm 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 wondering how that will be. It'll so, be an experience, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, is it is it that you will? Is it that you will tune in on your radio via local FM frequency to listen? That's what that's that's my understanding. That's my understanding. Yeah, because because they can't they can't be loud on stage because there's no way, 
well, not in no way, but it would be hard to sync the live sound with the FM. Yeah. With the FM broadcast, right? So, so it's not like you could have the ambient sound of the live show with your FM playing in your vehicle. At the same time, no. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering how... I wonder if that's a question our guest might be able to answer. Yeah. Anyway, Maybe. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. My name is Eric Alper, and I'm a music publicist for the last 25 years. I'm also a host on SiriusXM. Welcome to the music. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, I thought that was it. I thought that's all I had to do was a liner. This is the end. This is the end of the. This this is the end of the chat. (laughs) We're good. We're good. Now we'll talk about. I said, "Welcome to music." Where is it? Where are these people playing? What's going on? (laughs) Eric, I just want to start this off by thanking you for your support, and Hannah with uh, yeah. ConquerCOVID19.ca. I really, I really appreciate your support with that. We all do. It's such a great cause. You know what? It, it's, I started this whole life in music to do good. That's all it was. I never saw music as a way to do anything realistically other than being a part of the community and helping out, um, helping out the world in some small way through music. So anytime that I have an opportunity to do something, and you guys have done a tremendous job with the, um, you know, with the, with the promotion of it. So yeah, thank you very much for including us. Yeah, thanks. Is you, you mentioned that, um, to us as, as, uh, as I reached out and asked if any, any people that you work with would be interested in one of the things that you mentioned, and I hope you don't mind me sharing, um, yeah. is that the people, the artists, the bands that you work with, you know, they need to be doing something, you know, in the community or they, or they, have that desire to do that. I, I'm wondering if you could, if you can talk a bit more about that. Yeah. It's something that I never really bring up in the beginning and, and I probably should rather than, you know, uh, you know, throwing them out to the wolves and then saying, well, now you're doing this. Um, I, I, I have a really keen sense of people and I, and I get the feeling like just based on what people's histories are, um, how much they do want to get involved with their community, whether it's working with other musicians um, and, and working with nonprofit organizations. Um, and one of the things that, you know, being shut down has done for the music industry is if you talk, if you talk to me about the music industry as a whole and what we're all going through now, it's disastrous. But if you talk to artists one-on-one, there's mm. nothing um, but bright lights and shining positivity because it's the only way that we all know how to survive. You know, there might be not a lot of concerts from now until 2021, but there's certainly a lot of things that we can do um, as people, as human beings, as musicians, as publicists, as show hosts, um, to be involved with the things that that we care about. And uh, uh, so since this thing started, once a day, I'm finding something for the artists to do, um, Mm. whether it's helping out and spreading the word about 
what you guys are doing. Um, this week, they were also putting the spotlight on um, on the Shop Local campaign. Um, today, they're doing something with the Canadian Music Therapy Trust Fund. Um, Record Store Day went from one day, and now it's three days in 2020. So I got them to make videos about the very first album that they ever bought in a record store, making nice. cute videos. So instead of like straight promotion, it's just how the stuff affects your life. Because I've always... I've always thought, even as a kid growing up when I was 12 years old and had a subscription to Billboard magazine and being in my grandfather's tavern of Grossman's Tavern as a kid, music was a form of communication. It was a form of community. It was a place for everybody to get involved with. And uh, um, anything that we can do as 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 musicians and people in the industry to help out, um, I'm not just all for it. It's, all, it's actually a must. If you want to continue to work with me, it's That's you mentioned. Awesome. You mentioned about the the shop local, and you know we see a lot of a lot of support too for the staff, right, in bars, and and that ties so closely together with with musicians and bar staff and supporting, and you know people work at lower than minimum wage just for the sake of making tips. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, working. Long hours too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, these these are people who are working from like four o'clock at night until you know three in the morning. You know, keeping vampire hours. I mean, yeah. they're those support staff that keeps the bands going along with the fans. So, yeah, anything that that people can do. Um, you know, just you know, this week when when the city of Toronto announced that they were going to, um, you know, help out through tax breaks on, on uh, music venues across the city. And I'm sure that the rest of the province and I'm sure that the rest of the country is going to follow suit on that. You know, we, we, we just can't forget about those people who, who not just survive um, in the music community, but thrive on it and make us all better. Yeah, that's so true. You talked to, you just said that 12 years old, you had a billboard magazine subscription. Yeah. Um, how I'm trying to think what the heck was I doing at 12 years old? But like how aware of you uh, how aware of of the music business or or the culture of music were you at 12 years old? Like how early did you start really wanting to learn and, and immerse yourself in the industry? Yeah, when I was uh when I was 8 years old, um I saw the movie American Hot Wax and it was, it told the story of Alan Freed, who was a Cleveland DJ who kind of coined the term rock and roll. My parents went, it, it was in a small town where we saw this. So don't think that they just dropped me off. It's like, okay. I'll see <laughs> they went to go see a movie. I went right beside them and I, and I saw this movie cause I was kind of interested in music. I, I, you know, three channels, you know, you're watching everything. You're watching Donnie Marie, you're watching Sonny and Cher in Hollywood squares, wondering who these kooky, crazy people are. Um, but when I saw that movie, it had Jerry Lee Lewis, um, little Richard, um, and told the story and uh, Chuck Berry and told the story of rock and roll from the very beginning. And, and I felt wow. like my whole life had meaning. Honestly, it was like seeing that in the birth of rock and roll was almost year zero for me. And it's, I, I kind of liken it now to when, when musicians like Tom Petty talk about seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show and what it did to him was like, that's what I want to do. Unfortunately for me, I had no musical talent back then, and I still don't. I suck at everything that I do with music. 
you stick me in a studio, I will literally erase everything. And that's the truth. I can't sing. I can't play. I'm tone deaf. I'm hearing impaired. I, I've got so much against me. But I love the stories. The stories to me were growing up at 12, like somebody interested in sci-fi or somebody interested in watching Star Wars and getting really geeked out by that. I loved reading about these record label guys that signed talent and brought them to the world. I love the fact that Elton John and Bernie Top had never been in the same room, but I knew all their songs. I knew, I thought like, how cool is it that like, sugar sugar by the archie they're not even a real band like that's the stuff that blew my mind and so as a kid along with memorizing every single baseball stat i can get my hands on from the back of baseball cards music to me was like that and the older i got the more i learned about the world was through music it was taking a look at the economic situation it was mm. staying up or getting up really late at 14 and 15 years old and watching Live Aid and wondering what is going on in Africa, what was going on in Ethiopia, what was, and why do people starve in the first place? And it's one thing to buy Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid, but I was a geek enough to like go down rabbit holes, and I still do. I, mm. I you know, it, it's one of the, the best things that I've ever been able to do. I used to, I, I used to tell people that I was smart enough to get into this industry, but I was dumb enough not to leave. So that's exactly oh. how I say. <laughs> Fair enough. You talked about seeing that movie that uh, Little Richard was in. Um, yeah. he, he just passed this week. Um, talk, you know, your thoughts on him as, you know, a lot of people called him the father. Some people called him the queen of rock and roll. Um, yeah. your, your thoughts on, on Little Richard and his, his legacy, which I, I guess people can go everywhere with that. But what are your thoughts? You, you know, I mean, he's right up there with the Mount Rushmore of, of others with, with uh, you know, Buddy Holly and Fats Domino and Jerry Lee Lewis and, and, uh, and a number of others as well. Um, you know, not only did they, did they really bridge the gap and, and invent rock and roll as we know it, bringing country music and rhythm and blues, um, but, you know, bringing gospel to the forefront. Because back then, you know, a lot of these people, whether it was Little Richard or Aretha Franklin or Jerry Lee Lewis or Elvis, they got their start in the gospel world singing in the choir and their ability to to you know have this battle in their minds between the good and the evil the good being you know god and jesus and singing about that and and you know going out and smoking and drinking and women and yeah. going to hell um was the thing i in, that interested me to no end because it was like oh this is the demons but for somebody like jerry for somebody like little richard um, you know, not only did he bridge the gap between that, but also just culturally um, and racially just, you know, playing to to non-segregated audiences were something that the Beatles took the mantle and started their whole career, making sure um, that there was no separation in their audiences. I mean, he was flamboyant. He was yeah. out there was, you know, hooring and hollering and, and, and having a grand old time even before we knew what being gay was. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when he came out and then went back in and, and, and went back to the church and kind of was a little bit demonized by that kind of stuff, we loved him. I mean, this is a guy that was on Hollywood Squares, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, just, you know, his ability to look, here's, here's the real thing about him. He never really had a billboard hit after 1958, but we're still talking about him. 
you know he yeah. has influenced the beatles and the stones and the who and everybody that's ever played piano with elton john and billy joel um ed sheeran right to this day there is a direct line that can be um you know mentioned from drake to little richard and it's a very fine road so without him music is very very different yeah and i think too i think too we were talking about this before we hopped on the call kk and i were talking about it, is that you know from a style perspective, like KK asked me what I thought one of his legacies was. And to me, I said, Prince and Bowie. And you mentioned Freddie. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he wanted to just be an entertainer more than anything else. So he definitely wasn't going out there in a black suit and a tie and, and yeah. dancing you know, like this, like some of those really stiff, you know, vocal groups used to do. I mean, you know, he was you know, a decade before Motown started mixing R&B and dances together. Uh, but he would definitely, I mean, he was definitely one, one of the, the wild men of rock and roll and, and just amazing and awesome and beautiful to look at. That's so true. Can you talk to us a bit about your grandfather and Grossman's Tavern and, and, the, and then obviously the impact that it had on you? Yeah, you know, um, so there's a bar in, that started around 1943 uh, called Grossman's Tavern, and it was situated right in the heart of Kensington Market in Toronto. And if you don't know where that is, Kensington Market is just this this kind of, um, it's this neighborhood of full of all cultures. It, it's got, you know, the Jewish people and the Russian people and the Chinese people and the Asian people and the German people all coming to Canada to build a better life. Um, and... Uh, so when he started the cafeteria about five years later, he applied for an alcohol license and the city thought that he was going to bring the entire city to hell in a handbasket. And he was right because when you mix alcohol <laughs> and, and music, yeah. it, it's just nothing good can ever happen. Um, but you know, he was, um, he was one of these bars that kept going, um, having a lot of blues music, a lot of Dixieland jazz. And uh, in the late 1960s, early 70s, he used to house draft dodgers who were dodging the draft from the Vietnam War um, and giving them a free places to stay while they were hiding out. Um, and in the 70s, when I was growing up, Jeff Healy got their start. Rough Trade used to play there. It's where Down Child started. Um, so, so many Canadian musicians uh, ended up playing there. And it was there where my whole family worked at one time or another. My mom worked there. My mom's sister worked there. All of my cousins worked there. Um, I never had a chance to work there. But, you know, if I keep this up, I may actually buy the place in a couple of years. Um, but hey. realistically. You know, it, it was just one of those places that's still standing after all this time. Um, and forget about, you know, the, the ups and downs of having a bar playing blues music. Just having a bar lasting over 60 years is just an accomplishment in itself. That's for sure. And what, what um, you know, you talked about you were 12 years old billboard. Were you aware of Grossman's and, and, and what was happening there at that young of an age? No, I think it wasn't until... Um, probably it wasn't until I was able to drink, I, I think. And, and I don't mean that because that's <laughs> sure. where I spend all my time. But you, you just, you tend to realize that, that, um, that things have a weight 
to them that things mm. are are serious though when you go out you figure out you know places like the horseshoe tavern have been around for like a hundred years and that's rare and then you have these new cool places that you're going to um dancing on a friday night or going out um you know that are playing modern music at the time of like depeche mode and the cult and and uh you know new age and and manchester stuff like the stone roses and that's where i started to really come out and and love music even more and so mm. in in one foot in the present i realized that the past was so important as well and that's when i started to get a a, a more of a uh, of, of a heavy weight of what Grossman's meant to me um, because there weren't too many places around the world where I traveled that was like that, even though that there's always in one major city that place that people can go to for a drink um, that tends not to get a lot of, you know, a lot of media attention, not a lot of buzz. You'll never see, you know, the Who play there secretly. That's for the Elmo Combo to do. Um, but uh it was it was just kind of that gravitas and that sense of history that I loved and I still love to this day. Even when I work with with artists like an Andy Kim or Randy Bachman or or Biff Naked, it's their sense of history that mm. impresses me the most. The fact that they're still here, they're still making vibrant music and active, and I can easily relate that back to Grossman's Tavern. That's amazing. Um, Live venues in Toronto, um, you know, forget about what's what's been happening over the past eight weeks. But, you know, people have, uh, whether it's artists or people such as us who who enjoy live music, um, have really been talking about the, 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 the lack of venues and we compare it to, I don't know, maybe the 70s or the 80s even. Um, and I know... I can't remember whether it was Mayor Ford or Mayor Tory calling Toronto Music City. Yeah. Um, what What are your thoughts on, on live venues, specifically in this city, and 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 what we need to do? Yeah, uh, you know when 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 Mayor uh, when John Tory mentioned uh, when he went down to South by Southwest to take a look at the the amazing job that somebody like Austin does yeah. in a very very small contained city but blowing up a couple of times a year thanks to south by southwest he came back and he 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 helped um create the um uh the the kind of music council uh, that was at the the city of toronto and i was a part of it along with 52 53 other people that worked in the music industry um really i i think it's kind of unstoppable what's happening right now and, mm. and it's not really good but that's okay because I think we're seeing it around the world, and it's not just we're, it's not just Toronto. People tend to forget that you know when when you and I we were growing up. Look, I know that you're you're in your twenties. I'm in my twenties. You know, we're all kind of a little bit young. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, when we were growing up, there wasn't a whole lot to do. I mean, you know, yeah, you, you could wait until you turned 19 and then you started drinking and hanging out at the bars. It's where all the women were. It's where all Go, the Going to the gas works. Yeah. It was yeah. like the place to be. You didn't want to be at home. Um, and even before the coronavirus, I mean, you know, uh, the, the, the cultural shift of, of this, the absolute amount of things for people to do without leaving their house is astounding. I mean, we didn't have to compete with MySpace. We didn't have to compete with Friendster or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Netflix or thousands of channels at my disposal on my television set. We had five, you know, yeah. and much music was 
um, was one of them, you know. So um, just the fact that there's so much choice, we're now faced music, except, of course, if it's Ariana Grande. Gomez or The Weeknd or Bieber or some of their, those superstars that are always going to be around. Um, but I think it just comes down to the choice um, that people have. It's also come down to a lot of the real estate, you know, this city to live in by any means whatsoever. So, you know, these companies and businesses are always, and condo development, they're always going to pounce on the downtown core, which really isn't that much different from any major city. Um, what's surprising um, is that the music industry hasn't been able to replicate the money lost at those venues elsewhere. And I think we're going to see that damage continue to to fall, meaning that those artists that might have made a living playing in front of 150 people across Canada, playing 30, 40, 50 shows, they're now playing to 70 people at 10 shows selling off the stage when everybody's out concentrated on YouTube and Spotify, that pays nowhere near the amount of money that artists used to make. So mm-hmm. I think that there's some real damage that was caused in the last 15 years. Part of it is the music industry kind of biting the hand that feeds it. Part of it is just being a world-class city like Toronto. We uh, we actually had a similar conversation just the other week with Stephen fearing about that. And we were, you know, lamenting even Hughes room, right? Like, and I think yeah. Hughes Room was we knew, Hughes Room we knew were cl- was closing before this, if I'm not mistaken, from a timing. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And um, so losing those kinds of venues. And then they opened up and then they, and then they're, they're, they kind of shut down again, looking for for a new space. Yeah, and again, came down to rent, I believe, is what they the the, the committee ended up because they ended up going co-op, and the co-op basically said we can't do this with the, with the rent oh, yeah. as it is. Oh, yeah, it's everything. It's like, you know, try to open up a new music venue or a dance club in the city of Toronto and the amount of red tape that you have to go through in order to just go through, um, you know, noise pollution laws is astounding. Um, you know, I love being on that committee um, for, for for the city of Toronto. I love being there with my peers. I love just contributing whatever I could. But the amount of red tape made me leave. I just felt like things were just, you know, bogged down because those really simple ideas like, well, can we not have a parking space for a truck or a trailer or a couple of cars in front of every venue so that they don't have to park in a blue or green parking lot 16 blocks away and mm. then suddenly realize that their car or truck has been stolen because nobody was yeah. keeping their eye on it. It happens a lot. That took a long, long, long time to make happen and not get tickets when you parked there, when you were a band. So all of those things, you know, simple ideas sometimes take a lot of time to actually manifest itself into solutions. But, you know, I'm so glad that those people are still active and still talking about ideas because, you know, it's never going to get amazing again, um, but it's not going to get, you know, because it still can get worse, unfortunately. You you mentioned about the the 8 to 17-year-olds right now and what they're listening to in that. Do you think that in today's environment, because I've been waiting for the next, the next big shakeup, right? Like, like, will we have another grunge? You know what I mean? For that age group, is, is it, is it possible or, or do you think, or do you think we're just so all over the place that that can't come from this? What do you think? That's exactly it. I I think we're, we're too scatterbrained. We're, we're too divergent. We're too, um, uh, we're, 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 we're just all over the map now. You know, when, 
when I used to talk to to artists who had videos in the 80s, I remember talking to Jan Arden and she told me, you know, the day before Much Music played her video, she could walk down the street and nobody would know. Nobody would care who she is. The day after she got Much Music, she couldn't walk down the street anymore. The entire country knew who she was. The radio stations played her because much music added her and and that brought a cultural moment together now with you know spotify and and you know 52 million songs available at your disposal uh, now with youtube uploading something in the neighborhood of something like a million and a half videos um, a month spotify is now uploading 22,000 songs a day 44,000 songs on friday our new release day um, so we're all we all have way too many choices for us all to agree on something. You know, maybe the last thing that we all agreed on was Nirvana. Maybe. And maybe it was hip hop. Um, but hip hop seems to be, you know, kind of building from like the late 70s to now. Yeah. But that took that took a long time for it to overtake rock in terms of, you know, the most popular genre of music in terms of consumption um, and that just happened last year so you know not only do you have everybody not reading rolling stone magazine and spin and that's it because now there's you know 30 million blogs available for all tastes and sizes um but you know you you also you you also just don't have the same experiences um as we do with one another we're all growing up differently um and you know just those choices of you know, look, my daughter's 17 years old. For a long time, she had no desire to see anybody play live, probably mm. because she didn't even realize that her favorite artists play live because they really did it. When you think of Justin Bieber, you didn't think of the amazing live show, although he is pretty amazing live. But even, you know, like artists like Ariana Grande or the Chainsmokers, really big bands that sell millions of records around the world, they're not known to kill it live. They didn't make their mark playing the clubs and then the, the you know, the, 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 the small places and then the arena, then the stadium. They kind of just got big on social media, released some songs, and then that was it. All of a sudden, they're playing arenas. So mm. I think the way that these bands are developing is very different than the growing up part of music bands. I think that has a lot to do with it as well. We don't just have a piece in, in something anymore. Um, but I also think that we're just getting older. You know, I, I think that, you know, there, there's not a lot of 45 year old guitarists that are sweeping me away that are just brand new talking about mortgages. <laughs> you know, like, like they're not like every rock song was about frustration. It was about, you know, frustration of, of politics, frustration of the family, frustration of love, frustration of, of drugs and drinking and everything else. I mean. Who wants to talk about my lawn needs mowing? You know, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work. Although maybe we should. You know, maybe we should form a trio. You know, there you go. <laughs> yes, Greg. Greg is a get off my lawn. I'm not guy. so. I'm not so an- and really, I'm not so angry anymore. You know what I mean? Like even when I thought I was angry, I wasn't really angry. I, I came from a middle class background, you know. Look, uh, you know, I I I kind of had it fairly easy. I didn't get into a lot of trouble. So even when I was like, you know, living vicariously through other people who crowd surfed because I'm five foot tall, so I'm not going to get killed at my first rock show. But like, I kind of felt it, you know. I felt that anger. I felt that frustration. Even 
even though I, I, I might have not had any real experience in that, there's no real experiences for people like you and I. Yeah. Wow. You put it that way. I feel, I feel like I feel like complaining now. <laughs> but you're, yeah. you're, it's interesting you talk about live music that way because uh, my son is now 14. Right. And, um, you know, I've, I've taken him. His first concert was um, Arcade Fire on his birthday. Yeah. I, th- I think it's 10th or 11th birthday. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've been to see, uh, we went to see the Tragically Hip. Um, we saw Arkell's right. July Talk. But it was after him seeing Imagine Dragons. And he said, I don't understand right. why you like going to concerts. And I said, are you kidding me? The energy and everything. <laughs> and, and he said, I, I just want to hear the song. I, I don't care about crowds and everything. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, it's, it's a different experience for, for these kids. Uh, what they want to experience is different than what we want to experience. I'll make you a deal. You can go to concerts with my daughter and I'll stay at home with your son. <laughs> sounds good sounds um, good it, it, you know what i've noticed they don't clap they scream and they <laughs> sing and they sing loudly like you know <laughs> so it's a different it is a different experience it's also um it's, it's also listening to the songs as they're created as they're made there's no you know, I, I mean, Arcade Fire, um, Metric, Tragically Hip. I mean, those bands can kind of stretch and bend a song and go all over the map and come back to it with, with real musicianship. Um, a lot of these artists that I see that are selling out arenas and stadiums that are, are, you know, five years into their career, six years into their career, you barely see the musicians behind the curtain. They're there, yeah. but they're not the main part of the story. It's kind of like, you know, I think MTV and Much Music had a lot to do with that, building the road of, of we didn't want to see Madonna really in concert. We wanted to see Madonna replicate what her videos were all like. And that led to 17 costume changes and designers. Um, she's not to blame for, I think, the situation that maybe people think that we're in or good or bad. Um, but, she you know, that kind of road was certainly, you know, it, it was certainly created using video um, you know, you know it's that whole style over substance. Yeah, uh, I know Greg has seen almost every live show that's come through the city, but he never saw Nirvana. I don't think Greg did you? Did not. Yeah. No, but but Eric, you did. So I'm really. I did. Cur- I saw them. I saw them a week before Nevermind came out at the Opera House, um, and uh, I was working at the campus newspaper at Excalibur up at York University at the time, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about them. I, I would love to say <laughs> I knew they were going to be big, but I didn't. <laughs> I don't. I don't have that. I don't have that mentality of like you know. <laughs> I would have signed the Beatles. No, you weren't. You didn't. You wouldn't sign the Beatles. They were garbage back then. You know. So um, yeah, I saw Nirvana a week before. Never mind. A couple of times after that, and and they were pretty phenomenal though. Like they, you knew that they were going to be big because the songs were. I, I, there's been very few times when it was all in front of you. Um, when I saw Oasis for the very first time at mm. Lee's Palace, the first time they came, you knew that this roof was going to be blown off because it just sounded like they were going to be big. Now I can say that with two bands, I'm not going to tell you about the 700 band that I probably saw that I thought these guys are going to be big. And then they turned out to like break up three weeks later. So, so you know, yeah. My, 
That is so true. That is so true. I, I was going to say the one thing I wanted to throw in about Nirvana too is, is I remember we were, we saw Metallica at Maple Leaf Gardens. There's a whole bunch of buds in my brother and I, and then we went to, it was the opening night of the Phoenix, like after the diamond when it was switching over to Phoenix. So it was the big opening party. And so we went and crashed that after, after Metallica and it, you know, somebody's handing out, you know, they're handing out tapes and everything yeah. outside the venue, right? Hey, listen to the tape. Listen to this in our people. And yeah. I remember getting up the next morning and leaving because my brother went to high school in Whitby. He was underage, but he was whatever. And so we're, we're driving back and, and I put my hand in my pocket and went, Oh, and we, we both had forgotten that we got this tape and we put the tape in right. a little CRX with the sound system. That was just like, I love playing boot sauce in it because it was just killer. <laughs> And um, we put this tape in, and and both of us, he was probably 17 at the time, so I would have been 20, well, he was probably, no, he was probably 15, 16, so I would have been like 21, 22 or whatever at the time. And we put the tape in, and we're just like, it's like, holy shit, this, the world, the music world is never going to be, is never going to be the same again. So like, to your point yeah. of seeing them and realizing, wow, something's about to happen. It was the same thing listening to the tape that we, we had no idea what we were about to listen to, but that was it. Yeah, there's there's a there's a uh, there's been a lot of bands like that in my life that I still listen to. You know, Tears for Fears was that for me. The first time I heard the hurting, it was like that's it. I mean, and going back to this whole like, I didn't have any psychological problems. I, I didn't have I didn't need primal scream therapy, <laughs> but I still loved it just the same. You know, I wasn't God, but I loved the cure. Um, but you know, Tears for Fears was one. Um, that whole Manchester scene of the Stone Roses and Charlatans and Happy Mondays um, was amazing. I mean, Depeche Mode, hearing them for the first time was like, I love this. And 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 I'm still chasing that kind of high. Hmm. You know, I still listen to music all day and all night long in front of the computer. Um, some of it is stuff that I know like the back of my hand, but for the most part, it's it's trying to find that new favorite band. And I think we're all kind of chasing that too. Um, not so much that we can, you know, write about it or be the first one. Um, was just, it keeps us young. It keeps us fresh. It keeps, keeps our mind going and it keeps us current as well. I, I never wanted to be the kind of person that stops listening to music at like 33 years old, like most of the studies say. Hmm. So somebody that asked the question, uh, Lori Januska, who wanted us to say hello. Um, Cause I think it dovetails off what you're talking about there. She, she asked, what was what was either the band you saw or listened to or experienced that you went in not necessarily expecting much but came out blown away? Uh, that's a really good that's a really good one. Um, oh boy. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm gonna say the chain smokers. Um, mm. my daughter loved their music and drove uh, drove that radio car radio all the time with the chain smokers. And I thought, yeah, okay. So they're just a couple of DJs. Um, they were probably my top 10 live show I've ever seen in my entire Whoa. life. I mean, not only were they entertaining, but part of it was that they reminded me of the whole rave scene days of underworld and DJ Dan and Carl Cox mm. of spinning records live and playing music live. But they also had, um, a lot of really cool excitement and great stage banter and running around the stadium. And I love that. So after that, I was in, I was sold. And Hannah and I have seen them, I think, five times now. So they're Jeez. kind of like our band now that whenever <laughs> they come, we go and see them. But I love that question, though. What, what, what about you? Was there somebody that, that 
that you thought, ah, you know, I'll see if I like them. But to, you know, to, you yeah, to, like, well, now I see to, what everyone's talking. Yeah, um, to me, to me, it was only because I read an article. We went and saw Robert Palmer, um, my bandmate Jeff, and our our girlfriends at the time, and um, we went and saw Robert Palmer at Roy Thompson Hall. And I remember listening to or reading an article, uh, a review from the day before, maybe, maybe from another show because we had saw the first night of the tour. But anyway, and the the person said about the the opening band, oh, stupid Jimi Hendrix ripoff cover band. And I told the guitarist this a couple a couple of months ago at Hughes Room. I feel bad now as I told him that this guy said he sucked. And uh, we we were sitting having our drink, and we had front row seats, so we're just you know we'll go sit down when we can. And, and all of a sudden, this music coming out from the other room. And Jeff and I are like, we got to get in there. So we finish up our drinks, we go in, and it was Living Color. And they just like, oh wow, that's another band that to me, once I saw them, it was like, okay, this is never going to be the same again. Yeah, yeah. Still legendary too, right? It's funny, whenever I post about them on Twitter, the fan base comes out. Like there's yeah, still yeah. a lot of hardcore, you know, Living Color fans out there that, that help elevate that band and break down those barriers for rock. It's amazing. Yeah. KK? That is nuts. Mine. <laughs> so mine was just a few years ago, Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> and, and, and the, you, did you not hear about this band? That's oh no. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he lives no. a very sheltered life, Eric. He lives a very sheltered life. I'm let, just, let me tell you about four. Let me tell you about four guys called Led Zeppelin. They're actually. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, yeah. All right. So Fleetwood Mac. You knew the music, so right? you know you, 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 you. Oh, the music! Yeah, you you song would come on and you'd sing along with it. I just is oh, that's Fleetwood Mac. Okay, and so my wife said, "I want to go see Fleetwood Mac." Now, my wife right. likes Madonna. She likes Pet Shop Boys. You know, she's she's into sort of the eighties sort of glam music. I call it. Um, and so I said, I don't want to go see Fleetwood Mac. And she goes, Kareem, you go to all these concerts. I want to go to my concert. Take me to Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> I said, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll go to Fleetwood Mac. So we go to Fleetwood Mac and I, I found out after she's thinking of the album, uh, Tango in the Night. Yeah. Right. And I only figured out this recently that, okay, the reason. So anyways, at the concert, they played one song off of that album. And she sat for almost the entire show while I'm on my feet. I'm going, oh, my God, this is Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> I know their music. Who is that guy playing guitar? Holy mackerel. <laughs> Excuse me. That guy can shred the guitar. That guy's like the best guitar player I've ever seen outside of Neil Young. Yeah. And I go, I go these guys are amazing. And I go, didn't you enjoy that? She goes, uh I was I, I was hoping they'd play the other album, <laughs> the songs from wow. the other album, right? Because they only played yeah. one song off of that album, and so right. that was one show that I went to, no, not expecting much, and was yeah. blown away. Yeah, and, and you know what? It, it's funny whenever whenever somebody of note passes away, I always get calls from the media to to come on and talk about it and give my little, you know seven minute spiel about why they were great and i always say you know whenever a tom petty passes away or bowie or prince or john prine recently um you know people will always say you know what i, I missed my chance of seeing them and every now and again i'll post the question on twitter what artist did you miss not seeing 
and now it's just too late. Um, and it's kind of sad because a lot of, you know, we, we take for granted, you know, being in music and being music lovers through and through, you know, that we get to see all the concerts that we want or, you know, we pay for it and, and stuff like that. Um, but there's a reason why these artists are so great. And, and I'm not a huge fan of the, of the Eagles. I don't turn them off, but I don't think I've listened to them by choice for decades. Um, but I saw them play and it was like, this is it. Like, this is as good as it's going to get for rock and country music in my lifetime. You know, mm. you go see a band like Aerosmith and you're like, well, oh, you know, Aerosmith. Yeah, I know a couple of songs. And then they play 30 stone cold classic hits that have all sold a million copies. And you think this is this is the great. This is the best American band, arguably, in history up mm -hmm. there with. REM and Springsteen and everybody else. So whenever somebody like Springsteen comes along, I always tell my friends, like, go, like, go. Even at 70 or 68, he's still better than most people at 30. And, um, you know, there's the a reason why these people are, have lasted so long. Was, was that that concert that Neil Finn was playing guitar? Was, was that no. the one? Or was no, it, no, no, no. Lindsay, Lindsay Buckingham. Buckingham. This was oh, wow. oh, he's, he's three he's years ago. Mom. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And I've I've recently seen other people play guitar like him. Like, um, oh, there's that, that Canadian woman. Um, oh, I can't remember her name. Uh, she she plays guitar just like him. Uh, if I can remember her name. Anyways. Yeah, there's there, uh, there, 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 a, a woman. Yeah, there's there, a woman from Toronto that played with Prince. And I know Mike Campbell from Tom Petty's band now plays with Neil Finn with Lieber Mac now that Lindsay's out. But yeah. Yeah. Well, at least you got to go, you know. You, you know what, man? You took one for the team. <laughs> and, you, and you had a better time. So you won both ways. Thank you. Thank you. Greg Greg always teases me when I, when I bring up uh, how good a band Fleetwood Mac uh, no, or, no, no, at no. least that lineup. No, that, at least that when you when you bring it up when you have an epiphany that this this band is <laughs> incredible. Yeah, um, you, but Eric, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I actually, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say I went I went and saw ELO for the same reason. I had never seen ELO, and so when they were through town last year, it, you know, my wife's like, I'm not going to spend that kind of money on it. You know, she just didn't want to go. So I just bought a single ticket and I ended up sitting with buds who all sat together even closer to them with tickets that I had. Um, that, that leads me to a question that I wanted to ask you about is the cost of tickets for concerts. And again, I, I recognize we're now post, well, we, we eventually will be post COVID-19. Who knows what the rules and everything, the rules of play will be at that point. But what I found was concerts were getting to be so bloody expensive. Like, <laughs> The big shows, the big shows. And yet, yet Pearl Jam, I think it was Pearl Jam, didn't they do the single price? Like every, every single seat was the same price and, and I yeah. think uh, Tool was going to do the same thing or something. But anyway, I wanted to know your thoughts on that because I just find that like those big shows are so bloody expensive. Had been yeah, you, you know, I'll add Kid Rock to that list too. I mean, he I, it, he did a number of tours where every ticket was $20 no matter where you sat. Um, really, I mean, part I, I can go, I can argue both sides of it. The, the, the first one is that, you know what, we live in a world where 
Concerts are a one in a lifetime opportunity for people. They're not like books or magazines or TV shows where you can consume them whenever you want to. And if you want to go, then you should expect to pay for it. There's a large percentage of that money actually doesn't go into the bank accounts of Elton John and the Rolling Stones. A lot of it is just the upkeep of of that tour, the insurance costs, the staffing, the lighting, the, um, you know, renting out the venue perhaps, or, and the advertising dollars, they're all going through the roof as well. Make no mistake though, they're still making hundreds of millions of dollars if you're you 2 or Springsteen or Ed Sheeran. But for the most part, those are really the only superstar artists that, that can command that kind of thing. I remember when the Eagles started charging $100 for their ticket and they were the most expensive ticket about 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and who would have ever thought that you know $500 would be a second tier price for most of these shows? Um, but it does come down to just consumerism. You know, um, mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that, that those prices do exist. Um, but we as a society have decided that you know those people that could afford the better seats, the better boats, the better houses, the better anything, if they want to pay for it, they have a right to essentially cop up that dollars and go. Um, what I'm kind of afraid of is like that kind of thinking, unfortunately, um, helps stop a lot of bands from making that leap from the clubs or places like the Phoenix, um, places that hold 1,200 to make the jump to 6,000, 12,000, 15,000 because their audience just cannot afford $400 to go see it, Um, which is why you end up with amazing artists like the Indigo Girls, for, for instance, you know, play Rory Thompson Hall, they'll play Massey Hall, they'll play these really cool, funky places, keep their tickets down low, because maybe they just come to the agreement that they just don't need $300 million in their bank account, because that comes with sacrifices. And with that sacrifices comes with different audiences and loss of control. Um, but it's really expensive to put these these venues on. But you know, you bring up a really interesting point too about once we're out of this whole thing, maybe 2021, who's to say that a city like Toronto needs to have all the venues in the first place? You know, who's to say that the Air Canada Centre, God love them, and, you know, far be it for me to speak on their behalf, but who's to say that you needed 19,000 people in that place? I get that that's what they have, but we might end up in a situation where that place might be 11,000 because the NHL and the world just dictate that there's no way that you can have 20,000 people in the same place anymore. That's, there is no guarantees on anything, you know? Yeah. Um, and it goes back to that whole Toronto question of venues. Who's to say that Toronto deserved to have 75 venues with music on any given night? I mm. didn't. It just so happened that that's what we had. But if we can't sustain that, okay, so we can't sustain it. We'll figure something else out. You know, nobody deserves a nobody deserves a career. You know what I mean? Nobody deserves sure. to have your restaurant stay open after a year, no matter how hard you work. Nobody deserves to not have a plan B and do something in music because you're sacrificing a lot. Who cares? How great are your songs? That's what hmm. it really comes down to. How great is your food? How great is your clothing? We don't have time for good anymore. The fans don't. We only have time for what's amazing because the competition is so fierce. So, you know, this is the stuff at 12 that racked through my brain instead of practicing (laughs) for my bar mitzvah. (laughs) Um, 
Greg, when, when you started talking about Robert Palmer, I thought you were going to go uh, into a different direction and tell that personal story uh, about you and, and Robert Palmer uh, having a moment. But I know Eric, uh, and I want you to tell that story, Greg. Uh, but I know, well, Eric, yeah, you, yeah. you've worked with him. Uh, yeah, so so I guess uh, yeah, the, the, the story was I was at I was it was at the would have been the Diamond back then, not the Phoenix, and it was like either the Rock Express or the Music Express. I can't remember which which of the whichever name it was at the time. Um, the, the 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 magazine, the Canadian Music Magazine. It was at the awards mm-hmm. show, and uh, I was I was we were just hanging out backstage, not backstage, but in the back room or whatever. And, and this guy backs into me and bumps into me and I, I turn around and he goes, Oh, I'm terribly sorry. My, my name is Robert Palmer. And he puts his hand out and I'm like, I'm Greg. I know exactly who you are. And to <laughs> me, it showed you the quality of the guy, right? That's that quality individual right there that has that humility. Yeah. That's he, the story that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah I, you know what? I worked with him for about a year and then he passed away. Um, but we, I did, I did the, the, the PR in Canada for his last album and I got to, to, to have a, a couple of moments with him. Uh, he was exactly who I thought Robert Palmer would be just suit wearing classy, um, would easily steal your woman if he wanted to, <laughs> would probably steal your man if he wanted to, well. and you would go along with it and say, no, okay. okay. Robert Palmer, you've been asleep with my wife? Amazing. Great. Um, uh, just classy, polite, honest. Um, uh, and um, yeah, that one was, that that death was was a real shock because that was like, um, you you didn't realize how good those songs were from the 70s and 80s and just how massive he was with those videos. It, it's a still iconic to this day. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that know the really, really big hits and the power station sort of genre. Right. But, but if you go back to the late seventies, early eighties, there's some phenomenal music that was that he produced back then. Like that. that a lot uh, of people just like the, the, the white. Yeah. The white soul R and B stuff. Like, like, you know, not even Dr. Doctor, but like sneaking Sally through the alley and jealous and, mm-hmm. and so many just cool stuff. It's like, he was almost like a one-man Roxy music. It was just yeah. like, you know, <laughs> hair slicked back, nice-looking suit, cigarette in his hand. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get, I'll buy into that. Mm. I'll go for that. So uh, an, another band, I, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing, and I know you've, you've worked with them, but these guys, they tend to be the butt of everyone's joke is Nickelback. Mm. Uh, so I, and I've always wondered, why does Nickelback get such a bad rap? I mean, they sell out stadiums. They sell millions of albums. Why do, and I, I use the we as a, a collective, why do we make fun of that band? Well, we in this household don't. Um, <laughs> yes, of um, course. We love them. Um, not only are, uh, and, and I've said this since the very first days when, when I got to work with them briefly with their first EP, um, I was working at a record label called Shoreline Records. And at the time, they had three artists. They had uh, the Nylons, they had Patricia Conroy, and they had Nickelback's first EP that was about maybe six months in. This is back when Chad's mother would be calling up radio stations, asking why they're not playing their their son's band. Um, uh, the nicest, kindest, 
sweetest down to earth band I have yet to meet other than Nickelback. I mean, they've done no wrong. They should have been that guiding light of making this country proud and do outside of this country. You would be very hard pressed to find a lot of people who really truly don't like them. I think it's one of those smarky bullshit things that, that people tend to kind of gang up on on social media, but you know, When you look back at the 70s, for instance, people hated the Bee Gees. People hated Journey. People hated REO Speedwagon. They tend to, you know, kind of follow bands that have monster hits that are a little bit formula-like. But that's just because Chad is a master songwriter. He knows his way around what gets into people's minds and their brains in terms of clicking that that earworm kind of perfect song. and they, you know, uh, they're, they're kind of doing the job of what some would say that the Tragically Hip couldn't do, which hmm. was bring Canada to the world in a way of rock and roll that this country was kind of brought up on, you know, with the Guess Who and David Clayton Thomas and Blood, Sweat and Tears and Neil Young and, and Joni Mitchell in the folk world and Leonard Cohen in his own, um, you know, planet. It, it, it we're, we're primarily for decades with a rock country and Nickelback um, should have been beloved by everybody, to be honest with you. Um, I get I get a little bit why, but I got to tell you, though, when I see them in a venue of 25,000 people losing their collective minds, um, that's all that matters, you know, mm-hmm. but I do feel bad for them because I think that they're just normal human beings who just want to be loved by everybody. And unfortunately, sometimes that's not in the cards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're a great band. I think they got, some I think also songs. too, some of the, some of the people that bust on them, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think so. You know, it, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you don't realize how many people like them until you take a look at their Wikipedia page and just take a look at how many gold and platinum albums they have around the world. It's astounding. I mean, you know, when it's all said and done, Chad and the guys are, are going to be potentially in every major hall of fame that this country and around the world can offer. I've got no doubt that they're going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I have no doubt whatsoever. They've wow. sold that many copies and they've made that much money for the, for the music industry. Um, you know, they've already gar- garnered a couple of awards for SoCamp for songwriting. Juno Hall of Fame, easily, easily. Walk of Fame, easily. All of, the, all of that stuff, simply because you can't deny, um, you can't deny the back. The back, that's what we're calling them. Very nice. Um, I want to ask you about Roddy Bach, Randy. <laughs> I want to ask you about Randy Bachman. You've, you've, you've worked with him in the past. Um, I saw him in concert and um, I love his radio show, but I remember going to see him in concert and I'm like, this guy has written hits ever since he was born, it seems. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd love, I'd love to, um, I'd love to know sort of the man behind the hits and, you know, you've had the opportunity to work with him. Tell us about Randy. Who is he? 
Randy is 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 exactly who you hear on on vinyl tap. He is a music fan. He loves the stories like I do. He is a music fiend and a historian. Um, loves loves talking to musicians about the art. Loves talking about the craft of it all. You know, he's he's one of those guys that if you give him a song, he'll tell you how that song was written, and not so much of like. Well, then the faders on the keys did this and that, you know, he'll tell you, yeah, we kind of ripped off this song and then took out this chord and that chord and played it backwards. And that's how we got the riff to that song. And with no bones about it, I mean, even Troopers Raise a Little Hell was kind of ripped off on another song that was ripped off by the kinks that was ripped off by this. So Randy is is a funny, funny guy. He loves his family. He is um, one of the 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 most private people um, that I know when he wants to be, when he wants to shut it off and he wants to just, you know, be that family guy, be the husband, be the father, be the grandfather. Um, probably by the time that the year is out, maybe the great, great grandfather, but you know, he's, he's just the guy who loves what, what he does. And, and uh, you're right. You know, I, I, from the guess who to BTO to, to Brave Belt to like his solo stuff. It's just, it's just astounding. I mean, not, it's almost like not a month goes by until you hear taking care of business on some commercial. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, you've Greg, Greg loves this band public enemy. You've worked with them as well. Um, and, and I, I have to say this, you've worked like with, you work with children's bands and you've worked with like everyone in between all the way up to like heavy metal. Um, yeah, I want to ask you about public enemy, but first I want to ask you about how, why do you, why is your, your, your collection of clients so diverse? Um, when, when I was at that label shoreline Records, we changed distributors. So the distributor's job was to move the records from the warehouse to the record stores. And we changed distributors from another company to a company at the time called Koch. And Koch at the time was North America's largest distributor of audio and video. They distributed the WWF at the yeah. time, the World Wrestling Guide, um, and about 95 different labels. And they distributed the Putumayo World Music Label, Smithsonian Folkways, Relapse Records on the Metal World, Hopeless for the Punk World, anything. Dominic Zarka, the president, was a genius. He just decided he didn't really care what people wanted to hear. He just wanted to just sell a lot of records. And that was the right way to do it. Before I started working for them, everybody in the office was more concerned with bringing as much product into the stores as possible. When they hired me to do publicity, all of the labels were American-based. And they they really didn't care about Canada. We were 4% of the world market to them. So they were going to spend 4% of their time on us. So when Dominic hired me, it was like becoming one of the first publicist working at a music distributor in Canada that's how I got to work with all of these amazing artists is that I got to work the wiggles in the morning bar <laughs> in the afternoon and Ringo star at night and hope that I didn't cross-reference anybody during the day and because we had those many labels and that they relied on us to do publicity for it. They relied on us to get the interviews in the media and to get them on the radio stations and to get them in the blogs. And, and uh, then, you know, that's, that's why that roster 
didn't scare me because I loved it all. I grew up with folk music and early rock and roll. And then I loved new wave and I loved rock and, and rap and disco and funk and R&B. So to me, it wasn't so much the, the, the distinct style of music. It was like the, the media were all treated the same. They were all treated mm. with respect and as friends, not as enemies or adversaries or people to fool or to cheat on or to lie on. But it was, it, it was giving them content to keep them alive. You know, I loved reading 45 Canadian magazines a week. And I wanted to do everything I could to keep that going. And the way to do that was keep giving them content. And so that's essentially what happened. And then when I left and started my own PR company three years ago, I never changed that philosophy. It was always like, I don't want to work just one style of music when there's a whole bunch out there. So that's how I can work a metal band and a jazz band and a blues band and an R&B band all in the same day. And mostly sometimes all in the same email. That is amazing. Um, tell me, so tell me about Public Enemy, working with them. How was that? Did you Public Enemy was, yeah, Public Enemy was great. I mean, you know. Who didn't grow up with Chuck D and, play, and and Flav in their lives as as kids and uh, yeah. and as teenagers and uh, um, they started their own record label really early on before a lot of this artist driven um, you know from from direct to consumer record labels happened. So I ended up doing their publicity for a number of years. I actually just saw Chuck D earlier last year um, when he was here in, in the summertime playing at the CNE um, at, at the beer fest. Mm-hmm. So we did a couple of interviews, sat down with him and talked about old times a lot. And I mean, he's just, he's just so phenomenal. Like his mind still works harder and faster than, than most. Here's the thing about Chuck D is like, when he says something, you, you just believe it because it's probably the truth. Like you could be looking at, you know, a yellow piece of paper and he'll tell you no 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 it's green i'll be like yes chuck it's green not knowing um, you know but that's the power of, of chuck i i think that you know he's the truth i mean he's he's the voice of 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 so many so many of our lives and so many moments too i mean he taught us about things that that we never had a chance to experience you know um you know, growing up in Toronto, like I grew up in the, in the Jane and Finch area um, as a kid and, and as a Jewish person in the only part of my neighborhood, you know, I know it's a stretch. So don't, don't at me on Twitter. I don't <laughs> care. I'm not going to read it anyway. But like Chuck D was kind of my window to the Bronx. You know, Chuck yeah. D was like my education to what was going on there. And that led me down the road of like, you know, working and talking and, and dealing with with somebody like KRS-One who dove me even deeper into it. And as a Jewish person in the neighborhood, you know, struggling to not get beat up every so often, um, I can kind of relate to that, you know, not in the same extent. Again, yeah. people on Twitter, don't care. Don't ask. <laughs> but, you got, but you know what yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. like we, we, we all, you know, uh, we all had those kind of experiences and, and Chuck certainly opened up a window to a lot of things that we wouldn't otherwise see on the news. That was for sure. So, so I've got two questions for you for, to wrap it up. So before KK wraps it up, first question is, were you at the profits of rage show at the Budweiser stage? Did you see no. that? No, I didn't see that when show. Dave Grohl know? comes out and finishes with MC five. No. It was anyway. 
I got goosebumps. <laughs> I got goosebumps. Okay. So uh, the question I really like to finish off with is, is like, what's in your ear right now? What are you listening to? Um, what's in my ear right now? Um, you know what? There's, there's, there's one radio station that I listen to other than Sirius XM and it's KEXP in Seattle. They're the NPR's version of that. And I got to give them a shout out because um, they've really kind of opened up my eyes and ears to a lot of music, everything from, you know, the first time I'm hearing Grimes, um, followed by Aretha Franklin, followed by, um, you know, the, uh, you know, Arcade Fire. It's just music that, that is just good, no matter what kind of style it is. So, um, just, you know what, that, that station is, is just a, a blessing in my life. Um, but it's also, you know, just stuff that, that people are sending me. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot of the artists that I work with, I listen to constantly, whether it's Biff Naked, Biff now manages somebody by the name of Dylan Gray, who yep. I adore. Um, so, you know, artists like that, I always have time for, and, you know, people want to send me music. I'm happy to listen to it. And, give comments and add it to my playlist and so forth. Awesome. Eric, I have to thank you, not just for spending an hour with us, but uh, really since uh, Greg and I started this project at the end of last year, uh, thank you so much for, for all your support. And we all wanted your help. to have you join us. Yep. Uh, you know what? I, I, I got to tell you, um, every artist said that you guys were, were miserable SOBs. Um, <laughs> yes. And I didn't, I didn't know if I could continue to bring artists. Um, but despite my best efforts, um, I tried to cancel many times. Uh, I'm, I'm not glad I'm here. Um, but no, Most no, people listen, aren't. no, listen, guys, we all know the kind of caliber of artists that you guys have on the show and, and they pick and choose very carefully who they want to spend their time with, even if they're sitting at home doing nothing. Um, from the moment that, that we connected and you started talking to our artists, um, the feedback on, on you both was phenomenal. And, you know, everybody starts with one fan. Everybody starts off as an egg on Twitter. Everybody starts off with zero. And what you two have been able to do um, through your kindness and your generosity and your music knowledge and enthusiasm is shoot up the charts faster than I think anybody had a right to expect. And a lot of it is just the sheer word of mouth that the artists are giving each other about you two. Um, and it's now my job to tell them that they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best way to end this off. <laughs> No, I love you both. I love you both. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for having me and for giving me a line. And uh, thank you for all your support of, of Canadian music. And uh, uh, let's just keep going. You know, this this virus is nasty, but, you know, it's got nothing on us three. Awesome. And, 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 and back at you, Eric, for your support in, you know, giving, allowing us access and introducing us to your your bands and your acts. And we, we really do yeah. appreciate that. We, we continue awesome. to appreciate that. Stay safe. Great. Thank you so much. Take care, buddy. Yep. Stay safe. Okay, Stay see healthy. You later.